Welcome to this, the 53rd Wikibon Peer Insight Research Meeting. My name is Dave, and I'm here with my buddy Steve. Hey, Steve. Hey, Dave. And we're going to talk about 2009 storage budget cuts. What can be done? You know, Steve, nothing changes everything quite like a recession, and this one promises to be a doozy, doesn't it? Looks like it. Wikibon users are telling us that their budgets are being cut between 10 and 30%, or even more. I know, Dave. I've really never seen IT people face such drastic cuts. Let's take a listen to this storage administrator. You're seeing a 75% cut in your budget? Correct. That was Grant, a senior storage administrator at a large financial firm, and he was our guest today on the call. We talked to Grant and Nelson Nahum, an LSI fellow, about how heterogeneous storage virtualization can support smaller budgets in 2009. Right. Let's listen to what Grant has going on in his shop, which is pretty similar to a lot of the IT professionals that I talked to today. Our storage for virtualization will be close to over 300. So you have 300 terabytes virtualized, is that right? We'll, we'll be virtualized. Currently at this time we got about 254. Out of how many in total in the shop? About 700 terabytes. And how many servers are you supporting? We are supporting about 400 servers. 400 servers. And the primary applications are, what do you, you, you mentioned SQL. What are, you, what are your primary applications that you're supporting? Um, SQL and Exchange are our primary uh, servers. Nelson Nahum believes that these challenges can be addressed very nicely with storage virtualization and help users get a better price. Many customers. Uh, even before turning up the storage virtualization product, they got uh, very good prices on storage ex expansion from the storage vendor. Used to be that uh, you know the storage vendor knew that the only way to expand the storage is to buy the same storage. And uh, if you compare the price per terabyte of uh, this drive in price and the price per terabyte of a disk drive in the, your storage vendor, there is a huge gap. Um, so what happened is that many smart customers took uh, bought uh, storage virtualization and told the uh, uh, vendor, "Listen, I have storage virtualization here. I can use and choose any any storage I want. I mean, if I want a tier one, uh, I had a customer that told me that uh, they always buy tier one, but they invited the, all the three letters acronym uh, companies and they say." Give me the best price. I don't. I don't want the uh, storage feature, the software. Just give me the best best price per terabyte. If you want tier two, the same. Uh, you can ask uh, each one to give you the um, the best price, and you can pick and choose. And just the fact that you can pick and choose, in general, the customers keep going with the same storage vendor. But just the fact that the the salesman know that you can pick and choose. Um, give them a tremendous discount that basically pay for the storage virtualization software by itself in the first uh, acquisition of mo new storage. You know, Steve, listening to Nelson talk, it reminds me of that old story about the CIO putting an Amdahl coffee cup on his desk the day the IBM mainframe sales rep is coming to the call. Ah, the good old days. <laughs> but Dave, did they even have CIOs back then? Yeah. Come on. I don't think so, actually. That's a good point, Steve. And I actually don't think IBM had anything but mainframe sales reps. You know, one thing, though, about those reps is they used to sell things like storage pooling 
and automated provisioning and online migration. Start implementing storage virtualization, then you have a storage pooling. That, that means that all the storage is available to all the servers. You don't have any more the situation that you have a, a storage box full and a storage box half empty and you cannot use this storage to expand the volume from the other one. This is one of the typical cases that I think that is the main reason why Grant, uh, Grant is using the, the system. If you move forward, uh, we have a team provisioning that uh, agree is not something that you will want to do for every application, but there are many applications that, uh, like file systems and, and things like that, that are the best for team provisioning. And in this case, you can give them as much as capacity that they want because only the data that will be really written will be allocated. Um, Online migration, this is another capability of storage virtualization. You, if you leave storage, you, ha you are in a position that at any moment you can migrate the storage without any downtime, without any pain. So you can renegotiate uh, lease storage and you can return lease storage. This is a big advantage uh, to reduce uh, cuts. Okay, Dave. So what Nelson had to say is definitely pretty interesting. From a technology perspective, but my question is, is how is all this technology really going to help me address budget cuts as I go into 2009? Here again is Grant. Help us with the budget cuts is now we can pull all the subsystems into one, so now we can find storage anywhere we go. And the hardest problem is right now is, like I said, we have storage, well, an application needs storage that's on a fabric that does not have enough storage for them. So if it comes down to it, we usually would go buy more storage on that fabric. With the SPM, now we can consolidate everything, which comes out with uh, able to save a lot more money. A lot of our subsystems are virtualized. We could go down to specific systems that, let's say there is one, one SQL server, and they're for one project, and they're requiring 600 gigs to one terabyte of use. We go back in there, we realize that they're only using 30% of that storage. Now what is we can start uh, virtualizing everything. So we got same provisioning going on. And if we have an emergency, let's say a code red incident comes up where we need storage right away for approximately three months of uh, use, we can use some of their storage to give to them for short-term use. And that's where a good way for virtualization to come help us out. One file system is not is using this data and it hasn't been using this data for six months, we might pull them over to a tier three now and we'll leave them as an archive. All right. So I think what Grant is saying makes a lot of sense, right? So his use cases really seem like they would help me save a lot of money. So if that's the case, and I'm anxious to get going on this, how do I really get started? Nahum advises, start small and grow as you learn. Uh, the starting is, is very easy. It's much easier than you will think. Oh, uh, you know, people tend to think I have a big data center. Now how I virtualize that? It, we start with small and then in very small increments also. And once the customer understands how to migrate or how to import data that is not virtualized to the virtualization environment, that is really literally take a few minutes, uh, then you can grow over the time. You know, Steve, I'm skeptical that it's that easy. To go from what essentially is a standing start to an infrastructure that has this support of heterogeneous arrays, isn't that going to require a lot of planning? Maybe, Dave. But here's what I heard. 
All right. Um, really, no, it's not difficult at all. It's extremely simple as it is. Uh, we're still constantly doing it. We are grabbing a lot of our legacy servers and virtualizing them. But I could speak to transforming a lot of our legacy systems into virtualization, and it's extremely um, easy to do. The only thing is there's got to be reboots for the host agents to be installed if you're using the SVM4. But with the SVM5 coming out, you don't have to do any reboots. But once doing that, it's extremely easy to do. We do our quick node migration, which uh, we have an in-house built tool that we use when we're migrating a legacy system to virtualization. But from uh, migrating from virtualized to virtualized, it's extremely simple. We use the multi-copy or the multi-migrate. So I'm wondering, what does the pre- and post-virtualization environment look like? Grant would actually say there's a pretty big difference between the pre- and post-environment. Let's have a listen. When we have different arrays, yeah, we don't have headaches at all. We'll introduce what's virtualization. When it comes to not being virtualized, it becomes a bigger headache because when you get to the subsystem, you've got to create an array for it. And sometimes uh, when you don't have virtualization, when you create the array, you create the, uh, you create the volume. Most of the times that volume is going to be, uh, they're going to use that entire volume within, let's say, six to nine months. When it comes to headaches is when you need to expand them. If they have 20 gigs left in that volume, but they need 30 gigs to put a new application, what comes out to it is we have to create another volume just to give them that enough space. With the virtualization introduced, now we don't have to do that because on the array, on the subsystem, we create an array. With that array, we use the entire array to create one pool. We throw it into virtualization, and we create one volume. That volume is, let's say, 65 gigs. If they come down to it, well, we're at 55 gigs, but we have an application that needs 15 gigs. All we do is expand it with having a pool in there. It gives us no headaches. It gives us a lot easier manageability and feasibility. Interesting. It seems to me this must cost an arm and a leg to implement. If you listen to Nelson, doesn't sound like it. Uh, so Grant uh, uh, didn't grow from day zero to 254 terabytes of virtualized storage. Uh, actually, one of the main features of SVM we have is that you can install very gradually. It's uh, LAN by LAN, server by server. You can start with, uh, if you want, with one LAN and one server. And uh, slowly, during the uh, in a period of time, you can add very easily more applications. More, we have a function that imports uh, current existing data into the virtualization environment. So it takes few minutes to have a from a LAN that has data till uh, the same LAN becomes a virtual volume and has repurposed the same data to the to the same server. This is on the let's say on the labor <laughs> expense uh, is. Very easy to start and, and very easy to grow over the time. It's not uh, one day I, I want to virtualize my whole uh, data center. The second question is regarding the the price of starting. And uh, in, in our particular case, the price is according to the capacity uh, virtualized. So if you start with very uh, small amount of capacity, uh, then uh, you pay very little, and over the time, uh, you, the more you virtualize, you pay more licenses according to the capacity. So definitely, uh, both from the pricing perspective or, or the investment that need to be done and the uh, investment in labor, uh, it is perfect to start uh, in, in an environment like this that the budget is, is very, very small. Well, Steve, when I first heard about heterogeneous storage virtualization, I thought, this is so powerful, everyone 
with a diverse set of arrays is going to do this. But there have been some speed bumps in the road, not just for LSI, but for all vendors of this technology. I have to agree with you, Dave. In the beginning of any new technology, there's always the adoption barrier. But I think people are starting to get more comfortable with virtualization. Let's take a listen to David Floyer, an experienced practitioner and former IBMer. The, the steps of, of implementation, there's a pretty, pretty important planning step that has to be taken first. There's a, there's a planning of the network itself. So it's planning that the, the storage network, the SAN, uh, the uh, switches, etc., are compatible with the specific uh, implementation of heterogeneous, uh, the, the specific vendor's equipment that you're going, you've chosen. So things like zoning have to be um, uh, looked after. Um, compatibility of the uh, of the of the SAN itself, the switches, uh, the microcode levels. Uh, for some of the implementations, uh, it's necessary to implement um, additional uh, equipment in the uh, switches themselves uh, to, to add particular function. So there's, there's a number of things on the actual network uh, that need to be done. The, the second is to make sure that the setup of the servers the uh, the naming the uh, HBAs etc are all compatible with that same network, and then the third is to make sure that the uh, the storage equipment itself is qualified, uh, specifically qualified by the uh, by the vendor. Uh, some of the older stuff is uh, quite likely not to be qualified, or it may well need uh, an upgrade in terms of. Uh, microcode levels, and there is, uh, there's often a, an issue with uh, clashes in microcode levels between, for example, uh, the, the latest level of, uh, of a database, our Oracle database, which may require one level of microcode, and the actual qualification, which may be several microcode levels back. So there's a number of just planning issues choice issues about which equipment to put on the network, uh, issues in terms of, well, opportunity issues in many ways, and in, in which uh, storage to actually bring over onto the array network. One of the steps of setting up a heterogeneous network is that the first time you put an array on, uh, you need to migrate stuff. You need to uh, move the stuff from its uh, normal state to the, uh, the virtualized state. And that has to be uh, done. There are, there are a number of options with, uh, the, uh, with the appliances where you can, you can it, it helps you do that. You can do that. Uh, you can set, it, set up a, a volume on the appliance and then you can attach the external volume to that appliance and then it'll suck the data from it while it's still attached, but it still needs an initial disconnect. Uh, so there's always, as you move it into that environment, a, an issue of moving them, moving them and disconnecting it, uh, disconnecting them from the servers. There's usually a significant amount of time that's required over weekends 
um, uh, during uh, maintenance slots to get the stuff ready and then to move the, the arrays across. So it's something that if you, in an ideal world, you would like to take a piece at a time. Well, what about that, Nelson Nahum? Does LSI have the capabilities to support this approach that David Floyer is prescribing? Main features of SVM we have is that you can install very gradually. It's uh, LAN by LAN, server by server. You can start with, uh, if you want, with one LAN and one server. And uh, slowly, during the, in a period of time, you can add very easily more applications, more we have a function that imports uh, current existing data into the virtualization environment, so it takes a few minutes to have a, from a LAN that has data till uh, the same LAN becomes a virtual volume and has repurposed the same data to the, to the same server. We work with the customer and, uh, in the planning and in the implementation way. And again, bef because the fact that you can start very small and you can uh, small in, in the amount of virtual capacity and small in the amount of the budget because of the capacity, uh, we, you can say, a customer can say, you know what, I want to start the, this virtualization. I have a, a new project that, that would be a good case. Uh, you have a new project and you cannot buy the storage, but you have storage available in a system that, uh, you know, you cannot reclaim. So, okay, you virtualize this storage, uh, maybe one terabyte, two terabytes, four terabytes, and you give to this, uh, you build this small virtualization environment inside the, the whole complex. Okay, Dave, that sounds like some sound advice. What other types of things should we pay attention to? One of the advantages of a uh, heterogeneous uh, strategy by, by selling it through, for example, HP, uh, is that you can then qualify all of the equipment from that manufacturer and then know that... Uh, that all of that uh, that hardware is going to be supported, or, or IBM or whoever the um, qualification comes from. So it it it, uh, it it works in theory, but it it's certainly an issue if you're trying to fit together too many pieces of equipment from different uh, vendors all together on the same box. That can that can cause issues. So I, I would um, I, I I would suggest that. The heterogeneous uh, story is is a little patchy in terms of its its total breadth of ability to put stuff on. It's much easier if you restrict to one vendor and that they've qualified everything on that particular uh, on that particular box. Well, David, that would suggest uh, getting it right with one array architecture and then migrating others over as you gain experience with the technology. This was an interesting call today. We heard from Grant, a senior storage administrator at a large financial institution. We heard about how Grant is using heterogeneous storage virtualization to deal with 75% budget cuts. And he's doing this by squeezing more out of installed storage. Thank you, Grant, for sharing your experiences today. Grant is one of the lucky ones. His organization is up the learning curve on heterogeneous storage virtualization. If you're not there yet, you have some work to do in terms of planning and migration. And that's really the other substantive discussion that we had on the call today. And thank you to David Floyer for providing your perspectives there. We also heard from Nelson Nahum, an LSI fellow, that you can and should 
start small and then grow. And he explained how LSI is supporting that strategy. Now, the good news for users is that LSI is bringing heterogeneous storage virtualization to the mainstream of the data center, with an obvious focus, of course, being on those larger installations with lots of diverse array assets already in place. This is Dave Vellante from the Wikibon Project, and I hope you found this week's Peer Insight Review informative and useful. If you'd like to participate in Wikibon, please go to www.wikibon.org. That's www.wikibon.org and sign up. Everyone's welcome. There's a lot of excellent information for IT pros there. Check out the wiki. You'll find case studies, how-to notes, and professional alerts all produced for IT people. Don't forget to check out the Peer Insight Archive where this audio will be stored along with other great research meetings that we've had. If you are so inclined, please share insights and opinions with peers. Write a wiki tip, ask a question, post some comments, but be warned, whatever you put up will be mercilessly edited. So remember, be true to your experiences. There's no room for commercials, just honest advice. And if you have a topic or question you want to discuss, click on Ask a Question, and who knows, perhaps we'll be discussing that at our next Peer Insight Call. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a Wikibon member. Bye for now.